Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvellous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody. With trumpets and the sound of the horn, make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands, let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Thanks, Lee Su, for reading God's word for us this rainy morning. Good morning, my beloved family and friends in Christ. Uh, welcome to Grace Baptist Church on this rainy morning. I know many of us are tempted to sleep in, so I commend you for your commitment and dedication in coming together as church. I also want to give a, extend a warm welcome to our friends and visitors who are with us maybe for the first or second time. Welcome. We, love, we really love to have you here with us, and we would love to get to know you. So stay a little bit after the service. Uh, we usually will gather for coffee and conversations on the third floor. You know, we are nearing Christmas, and we can't escape this. Every shopping mall we enter, they have Christmas songs playing. Uh, as a church, we are in, in what historically in our church calendar is the Advent season. Advent means arrival or coming. And during this season, Christians, we prepare our hearts by remembering the first coming of Jesus Christ. We also cultivate our longing by waiting for Jesus Christ's return at His second coming. And to help us do so, as a church, we are going through Psalm 96 to 100 as part of our sermon series, Rejoice. We will end with Psalm 100 on Christmas Day, and this will be part of our evangelistic service. You know, the Psalms are part of the Songbook of Israel, and these five Psalms in particular calls us, calls on God's people to praise God our King, recalling Jesus Christ as our Saviour King. We will look at Psalm 98 today. Psalm 98 inspired Isaac Watts to compose the hymn, Joy to the World, which we sang at the start of the service. Though it was not originally a Christmas hymn, it does contain many elements to cultivate our hearts as we long for the return of Jesus Christ. So before we look at the Bible this morning, because we desperately need God's Spirit to open our eyes and to work in our hearts, let us pray. Father, what we know not, teach us. What we are not, make us. What we have not, give us. We ask that you open our eyes to the beautiful and wonderful things in your word. May we see the truth, the goodness, and the beauty of Jesus Christ. And in seeing his glory, we pray that the Holy Spirit change us to be more like Jesus. 
In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You know, all men seek happiness. The United States Declaration of Independence writes, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights. And among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So a shout-out to our US friends. But for us as Singaporeans, in our Singapore's National Pledge, if you know the pledge, we end with, so as to achieve happiness, prosperity, and progress for our nation. Happiness, or a synonym, joy or delight, is a goal all men pursue. But what should ground our happiness or joy? Because if we pursue happiness for merely happiness' sake, it will lead to mere emotionalism, sentimentality, and temporary self-gratification. What should ground our happiness so that we will have lasting and real joy? Put it another way, what are reasons for a believer's joy? And we will address this today because Psalm 98 calls us to praise God and to rejoice in Him. And it gives us the reasons for our joy. But before we get to Psalm 98, I want to deal with one objection. You know, if we have a friend and our friend constantly tells us to praise Him, we will think that our friend is either insecure or needy. Or that our friend kind of have an ego problem which we constantly need to booster. The Bible is God's Word. And Psalm 98 tells us to praise God. So God is telling us to praise God. We know that God is not insecure, needy, or egoistical. So why does God constantly call us to praise Him? There are three reasons why we praise God. Firstly, as Christians, as believers, we praise God because He's the only being in the universe worthy of our praise and worship. Secondly, God commands us to praise Him. Okay? As we look at the Psalms today, Psalm 98, He commands us to praise Him. But lastly, this is something which many of us uh, don't really uh, dwell on often. The praise of God completes our joy in Him. Let me say that again. The praise of God completes our joy in Him. So as C.S. Lewis uh, said, all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise. And paraphrasing C.S. Lewis' uh, reflection on the Psalms, this is what he says, we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its pointed consummation. It's not our compliment that lovers keep telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete until it is expressed. It's frustrating to have discovered a new author and not be able to tell anyone how good he is. To come suddenly to the turn in the road upon some mountain valley of unexpected grandeur and beauty, and then to keep silent because the people with you do not care for it. To hear a good joke 
and find no one to share it with. Beloved, that's the way God made us. We can't help but praise and rejoice in what we most enjoy. The enjoyment is stunted or hindered if it's never expressed in joyful celebration. Praise completes our joy. We praise God so that we can find our joy completed in Him. Psalm 98 then calls us to praise God and to rejoice in Him. And the big idea of today's passage is rejoice, our God is our victorious King who comes to save and judge the world. In line with the big idea, the outline today will be in three stanzas or parts. And you can tell the stanzas apart because in your physical Bible, the stanzas are separated by a line. So if you have a pure Bible, you can look at it. Psalm 98, there are three stanzas separated by a line. So the three stanzas in line with the big idea is rejoice, for our God has saved you, verses 1 to 3. Rejoice, for our God is King, verses 4 to 6. And finally, rejoice, for our God will return to judge in righteousness. The psalmist writes Psalm 98 for the purpose of God's people to be given over to full-hearted praise and rejoicing in God our King who saves us. Rejoice, for our God has saved you. This title uh, for this psalm identifies this poem, these nine verses, as a psalm. Psalm 98 is a hymn or anthem to be sung congregationally by God's people. And we see in the first stanza, the first three verses, the psalmist calls on God's people to praise the Lord who has rescued us in our past. Psalm 98, verse 1. O sing to the Lord a new song, for He has done marvellous things. His right hand and His holy arm have worked salvation for Him. The Lord has made known His salvation. He has revealed His righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered His steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. You know, we are in World Cup season, so you can't escape from a World Cup reference. If you have caught the ongoing World Cup, soccer World Cup, one of the things you have noticed is the Japanese team's performance and the fans' enthusiasm. You know, it's a pity they did not make it to the quarterfinals. But I was so intrigued by uh, the Japanese fans and the team that I read an article and I saw a video of Japanese fans cheering, Japan, bravo, Japan, bravo. They cheered with great zeal and happiness after the 2-1 Japan surprise victory over Spain. And, and they were all singing this song. I googled what it is. Uh, they were singing this popular song called Vamos Nippon. It's a football chant you know, that they, they all were singing after their victory and they were waving the country's flag. They are not alone. Many sports fans will sing a chant or an anthem or a song to celebrate their team's victory. And Psalm 98, verse 1 to 3, has God's people, Israel, singing a psalm, singing an anthem to celebrate God's victory on their behalf. The psalmist calls on Israel to sing a new song to the Lord in verse 1. The word new song 
occurs elsewhere in the Psalms, as well as Isaiah, as well as the book of Revelation. And this phrase, new song, is often used in contexts related to warfare, okay, to war. A new song is a hymn of victory sung after God, the divine warrior, has made all things new by defeating the forces of evil on behalf of his people. So in this setting, the new song of the Lord is a victory song with God's people giving praise, rejoicing, in, uh, give, having a fresh appreciation of God's intervention on their behalf. And this is not necessarily a new song composition. And so the second half of verse 1 tells us that God's right hand and holy arm have worked salvation. You know, the, typically, the language used here, um, the language used here refers to God's power and victory in battle. We see this first in Exodus 6, 6 and Exodus 15, 16. So the salvation that the psalmist celebrates here is actually a military victory. God has won a victory over his people's enemies and have brought them salvation or deliverance. The psalmist praised God as the divine warrior of the people of Israel for winning a victory on the battlefield and saving his people. And this recalls God's kingly role and also recalls his coming future judgment. So in this original context, God's people will have sung this psalm after they won a battle against their enemies. This song acknowledges the victory that comes only because of God's power to deliver them. And verse 3 tells us why God acted to win victory for His people. God remembered. Remembered is often used in describing God's covenantal faithfulness. We see this in Exodus 2, verse 24. And God heard their groaning the Israelites in, uh, in Egypt. Okay? And God remembered His covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. Steadfast love and faithfulness, this is who God is, motivated God's action on behalf of His people. This covenantal love or hazard love describes God's loyalty and dedication to His covenant with His people. God will keep his promises to his people, demonstrating his steadfast love and faithfulness, his commitment to his people by winning a victory on a battlefield for his people. The nations, some who may be enemies of God's people, will witness God's steadfast love and faithfulness in Israel's salvation and deliverance. And look with me again to verses 2 and uh, second half of verse 3. The Lord has made known His salvation. He has revealed His righteousness, His commitment to His covenant in the sight of the nations. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. God wins a victory and saves His people. By doing so, he gives testimony, he gives witness to the nations of his righteousness in saving his people, that he is a faithful God of covenantal commitment. Even here, 
in this uh, psalm, we see God's plan in making known His salvation to the Gentiles, to all nations. God's people, in praising God for His saving grace, will give witness to non-believers. And, and this pattern of God acting to win victory for His people is seen first in Exodus, where God wins a victory over the Egyptians and saves His people from slavery in Egypt. But this pattern is repeated again in the Bible, when God wins victory after victory over the enemies of His people in the Promised Land. He does this to save and preserve His people, from whom ultimately we'll see uh, comes Jesus Christ. And, and we see this victory ultimately in Jesus Christ, who is the promised deliverer that comes from Israel, that wins a victory, who wins a victory over sin and death. And, and we see this in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 55 to 57. And God gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 55. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But verse 57. But thanks to be God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is our ultimate righteous Saviour King who is victorious over sin and death. Psalm 98 reminds us that God works through His people, works through us, to draw all the nations of the earth back into a relationship with Him. Beloved, we witness true community. Those outside the church are drawn into the praise of God through their interaction with God's people. As God's steadfast love and faithfulness are worked out in the church, others are drawn to join that faith community. As the church experiences the gospel blessings of God openly and boldly, others are drawn to know and love this God of goodness and grace. And this weakness is only possible when our church is outwardly focused, welcoming and open to others. I mean, the truth is, sometimes we do feel uncomfortable when people from outside the church you know, uh, come into the church. Oftentimes, they think, they dress, they speak, or they act differently than what we would like them to. But we cannot expect Christian ethics and morality from those who are not Christians. Yet sometimes, you know, for us, it can be uncomfortable to welcome those who do not uh, share our worldview into our midst. But by welcoming others, however, the gospel can change their worldview forever. Beloved, both growth in Christ-likeness within the church and sharing the gospel outside the church are essential in proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, allowing people to observe God's gospel and grace at work in our communities is one of the church's most powerful testimonies to non-Christian. You know, when, when they enter the church and they find that despite the fact that we are all very different, despite the fact that sometimes we irritate one another because we still have sin in our midst, and yet we choose to forgive and love one another, 
do not to bear grudges, so much unlike the world around us, we then proclaim a powerful testimony to the power of the gospel. You know, beloved, we as a church need to grow in living out the applications of the gospel of Jesus Christ and growing in Christ-likeness. At the same time, we need to grow to become open, more and more open to non-Christians still apart from our community and to find ways to share and proclaim the gospel to them. Whenever we gather as church to interact, that's why the elders encourage us to gather as church Whenever we get as church to interact, to sing and observe the Lord's Supper and Baptism, we give voice to one of the most powerful testimonies in our means, the joyful testimony of God's gracious and loving dealings with us, with His people, through His Son, Jesus Christ. And this is evident, isn't it? You know, when the World Cup started, you know, getting older, I hardly paid any attention to the World Cup. I didn't even know it started, actually. But then, I saw the joy and happiness expressed by the fans of the Japanese soccer team. And then, I was drawn to take heed of the World Cup. Okay, I was attracted by the joy and I started following it. But that's how it happens, right? When the joy and enthusiasm of God uh, goodness and grace working in our lives starts to take hold, others around us will take notice. Our lives together and our thanksgiving and praises, expressing our joy in Jesus Christ, can be a powerful testimony to the gospel of Jesus Christ, giving pause to non-Christians to take notice. So beloved, ask yourself, how can we witness better through the joy of, of uh, express in our life together. Rejoice, for our God is King, verses 4 to 6. In this second stanza, we see that the psalmist broadened the circle of praise to include all the earth's inhabitants, not just the people of God, not just Israel, but to everybody, and encourages the nations to praise God, who is their King, in the present. You know, I, I followed uh, recently, you know, this year, the story of the passing of Queen Elizabeth and the outpouring of grief uh, as she passed. And, and I followed that how King Charles will, the, the coronation for King Charles will be on 6 May uh, next year. When, this is when he will be crowned as King of England. But then again, as I was reflecting on this, he's just the King of one country. And unlike the earthly kings who rule over a nation, a country, our God is the crown king over all nations and over all the earth. And verses 4 to 6 presses in this point. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth in joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of horn, Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. The psalmist now calls on all the earth. We see this in verse 4. Look with me to verse 4. To praise God. All the nations, every single nation on planet earth are included in this call. After all, while God may have been victor for the, uh, Israel alone, 
God is king over all the earth's inhabitants. Verse 6. Whether God is acknowledged as king or not, God is still king and lord of all. God reigns over all things. There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which God, who is the sovereign creator over all, does not cry, mine. God's victory is often connected to His kingship that we see in these verses, since the defeat of God's enemy demonstrates His kingly power and reign. Since God is king, the singing that is supposed to be accorded to Him must be accompanied by instrumental music composed of the string instruments like the lyre and the wind instruments such as trumpets and ram's horns. Because the human voice alone here was insufficient to give the highest praise to God. Beloved, we are called to praise God with all that we have. To make a joyful noise, God's people are to be given to full-hearted praise and rejoicing for our righteous God and King saves all the earth, all the nations are called to praise and worship our God and King, finding our real and lasting joy in Him. You know, our God is King. All of us, whether we are believers or not, are accountable to this King. Our King, our Lord, our Master. The rejection of God as our King is what we Christians call sin. And I'm speaking to our non-Christian friends here. Our God is King and He reigns over everything. Rejecting His rule is rebellion. There's nothing we can do if we rebel to earn His pardon. But the good news, or as uh, what the gospel is, the gospel is that God sent His Son to die in our place, bearing our sin on the cross. He removes the penalty of our rebellion if we but trust and receive His gracious pardon. We will then experience the joy, the joy of His salvation. Romans 1, 16-17 tells us, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. That means to everyone. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. It is, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Do you desire authentic and lasting joy? Will you trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Will you acknowledge that you are a rebel, you have rejected God's rule, and therefore a sinner? Will you believe that God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to bear the penalty of our rebellion on the cross. Will you confess, turn away from your rebellion, turn to God in trust and place your confidence in God's power to save you? If you desire this, please feel free to approach any of your Christian friends who may be with you this morning. Or you can also, if you want to, you can, after this service, you can also approach any of the pastors or elders and we will be glad to speak to you. 
And I'll speak to the Christians here in our midst. Beloved, sometimes we know we want to share this good news that will bring our friends great joy. But sometimes we struggle how to be, uh, that we can do this. You know, uh, so if you want to reach out to your non-Christian friends and would like help, uh, we will make some evangelistic resources available. Uh, we will give out free, uh, free two ways to live and essential Jesus, which is a, tr- a track for both adults and children. And this will be made available at the book table. I think the book table may be, not be open today. I will go down and check later. Uh, but if it's not, uh, I'll make some resources available there. And you can also get them over the next few weeks and on Christmas Day itself. These resources are for members of the church to use and for us to reach out to our non-Christian friends and relatives. And if we have friends with you, you can bring them to the book table and get these resources for them uh, as well. This is our gift for them because we too desire they know the joy of salvation that Jesus Christ brings. Another thing for us to note is that Psalm 98 is also full of noise. You can almost imagine the Israelites, the people of God, first singing it. It is loud, it's vocal, it's musical. You know, there are instruments going, it's full of exuberant praise. And our God is worthy of no less praise today. Our God is the great King over all, and as such, is well worth our highest and most engaged praise that we can offer. Nothing reflects the greatness of God's character more than this greatest praise we have to offer. You know, cultural preoccupation, societal norms and tradition should never hold us back. The God of the Scripture is fully worthy of our most fulsome praise. And this Psalm, Psalm 98, indicates the type of attitude of heart that we should have as we gather to worship God. We should give heartfelt praise and worship to God. Not only as we gather as church on Sunday, but also in all areas of our lives. Worship of God should mark all areas of our life. Praise, adoration, giving thanks should mark us as God's people, both when we gather as a church or when we scatter into the world during the week. So beloved, ask yourself this question. How have I been praising God for His salvation? How is my joy in God reflected in how I live my life? And if there is a lack of joy in God, perhaps you and I have not fully comprehended the depth of the salvation that He has accomplished for us. Beloved, trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ and rehearse it often. Individually read God's words, particularly Romans 8, which contains the blessings and beauty of the gospel and meditate on the gospel. Read good books on the gospel. You know, I've been reading a small book, uh, Gospel Primer for Christians, learning to see the glories of God's love by author Milton Vincent. And I commend this book for you. It's a small little book. Uh, it contains the gospel written in exposition form in the first half of the book. And, the go- and it contains the gospel written as poetry okay, in the second half of the book. Corporately gather regularly as a body. 
speak and sing the gospel to each other, share testimonies of God's goodness and grace in the gospel, encourage each other in telling how God, our Saviour King, has acted on your behalf. And in doing so, we will cultivate the joy that undergirds our praise and adoration of God. Lastly, we are called to rejoice for our God will return to judge in righteousness. You know, in this third stanza, the final uh, three verses, the psalmist for the third time broadens his call to praise God to include even the inanimate creation, you know, the rivers and the mountains. Everyone and everything should celebrate God as the future judge of the world. You know, unlike the corruptions and scandals we see and hear that plague many political and judicial systems in the world, God, as our coming judge, will judge with righteousness and equity. This future hope of uh, God, our coming righteous judge, will give us cause for joy. So here again, uh, and look with me as I read the remaining three verses. Psalm 98 verse 7. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, and the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the people with equity. You know, you can see how each section of Psalm 98 flows for, overflows into the next you know, the choir begins with the people of God, the Israelites, in the first stanza. Then human, all of human beings chime in with their instruments and voices in the second stanza. And now, in this last stanza, the created world comes alive and joins the party awakened by the glory of the coming King. You know, God appointed human beings to govern the world with truth and justice. But we look around and still the governments fail because all human beings are fallen and sinners. But when God Himself comes, He will establish a righteous government. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. We see this in verse 9. You know, the weary world will rejoice. The sunrise of God's reign is the best dawn to break across the horizons of history. You know, just as Jesus inaugurated God's reign in His first coming, we await God's universal rule. Uh, and this comes when Jesus comes again. God is a victor in the past and judge in the future. God as judge is again connected to His appearance as the divine warrior because He saves His people and punishes those who will harm them when He comes again. Salvation comes through judgment. And in this case, you know, through, through poetic person, uh, personification, that means giving uh, a human character to, to creation, we see that all creation, sea, rivers, and mountains, they join in as they anticipate God's re-establishing the righteousness and justice that was disrupted by the fall. You know, as theologian Mark uh, Sifrit explains, in biblical thought, Righteousness is simultaneously moral and creational, having to do with God re-establishing the right order in the fallen world that He has made. An order which includes a right relationship between the world and its Creator. 
What this means is this. Righteousness, you know, we usually think that it refers to moral righteous uprightness, but righteousness does not mean just moral uprightness. Righteousness also has a relational component. It, it has the idea of the restoration of relationship between man and God and the restoration of relationship between all of creation and God. These relationships will be restored and made right when God comes again. You know, in the New Testament, Jesus is our divine warrior. He fights against the spiritual powers and authorities and not against flesh and blood. And Christians, we are not wrong to sing this song of praise, this Psalm 98 to Jesus, our warrior, who has won our spiritual salvation. Jesus is our victor, our king, our promised Messiah, and the coming judge who will restore all creation to his original harmony, restored to his right, right relationship with its creator God. Romans 8, 18 to 25 describes how creation waits for Christ's second coming. Verse 21 in particular tells us that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. When Jesus returns, God's people, we His children, will be finally and perfectly safe and creation will be made new and right again. You know, God, our righteous Saviour King, He will return uh, in Christ Jesus to judge in righteousness and everything will be made right. I speak to those among us who may be struggling to fight for joy. It is this future grace of Christ coming back again that gives us believers hope and joy. We can sing to one another to remind us of this hope and to nurture the joy that will sustain us. And the Bible, in the last book of the Bible, Psalm Reve- uh, Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 to 4, it provides us a glimpse of the joy and delight and harmony that awaits us when Jesus Christ returns, bringing with Him the new heaven and the new earth. Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and the new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men, He will dwell with them and they will be His people and God will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from your eyes, from their eyes and death will be no more. Neither will there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. One day, one day soon, everything will be made right. And is this our hope that gives us as Christians, as believers, joy? Christian joy is based, based on the past. 
Christ has saved us in Christ Jesus. God has saved us in Christ Jesus. Christian joy is based on the present. Our gracious God is King who reigns right now. Christian joy is based on the future. God in Jesus Christ will return and make all things right. And you know, my friends, beloved, no one, this is no wonder that Isaac Watts wrote his famous hymn with an eye to the coming of the Lord with glory as the Saviour, King and Judge will cleanse the earth of sin and to restore all things. It is then that this final stanza of joy to the world will have finally come true, that He will indeed rule the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of His righteousness and the wonders of His love. Anticipating that coming day, Isaac Watts summoned every voice to praise the Lord, all of us, to praise the Lord with a joyful noise even now. Joy to the earth, the Saviour reigns. Let men their songs employ, while fields and floods and rocks, hills and plains repeat the sounding joy, repeat the sounding joy, repeat, repeat the sounding joy. The psalmist calls us to praise our God. We are to praise the Lord with songs and hymns when we gather. You know, Christians, we are singing people. We sing when we gather as church for weekend services, at births and funerals, at our thanksgiving celebrations. So GBC, may we as the church grow in our singing together. And right now, Psalm 98 even as I speak and declare God's word, Psalm 98 calls on us to praise our God. So GBC, let us apply it right now. I ask that you stand with me as we sing joy to the world again. <laughs> 